This is the Horse Radio Network. Greetings, everybody. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily, episode 1389. This time, we're going to have a chat with Dr. B. That would be Dr. Brian Waldridge from Lexington, Kentucky. We're going to talk about core vaccines. Every year we go through the whole vaccine routine, and it's always a good idea to update yourself on what's going on and what your horse is going to need. And we're going to get right to it right now. And I'm so happy to welcome back to the show Dr. Brian Waldridge, known by known to most of the horse world as Dr. B of Dr. B's Bluegrass, who has a fantastic Facebook book page that highlights in beautiful living color all the wonderful things that are to be seen in Lexington, Kentucky. And he's a veterinarian, too. So welcome back to the show, Dr. B. Oh, thank you. It's always just uh, the biggest pleasure to be able to be invited. So thank you for asking me. Are you a Kentucky native, Dr. B? I am. I actually grew up in Bardstown, Kentucky. And that's where, when you listen to my old Kentucky home, there that's an old plantation house about, a, oh, about two miles from where I grew up. So... I, I grew up in the town where my old Kentucky home is. Oh my gosh, isn't that cool? Oh, it is, and it's it's um probably more bourbon made there than anywhere else in the world too. So um, there's there's lots of very cool Kentucky things there, and about sixty miles west of Louisville, and or sorry, sixty miles west of Lexington, forty miles south of Louisville. So kind of right in the middle of the state, right in the middle of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful states in the country, if I may say so. Well, thank you. I'm I'm very prejudiced about it, but I'm also would have to agree. <laughs> there we go. Well, we're going to talk about a veterinary topic today, since you are Doctor B, and this comes around with amazing regularity. We have to give our horses their vaccinations, and I don't know about anybody else, but at the beginning of the year is when I think about it because I have to kind of schedule things out and okay, I'm going to go here or there at a certain time during the year, and I need to make need to make sure vaccines happen on the right kind of a schedule. And the ones that we're going to talk about today are called core vaccines. So tell me what a core vaccine and why they're considered core. So core vaccine, the, the way that I describe that to everybody is those are the vaccines that are recommended for every horse in every situation here in the United States. So the the core, if you think about that, that's their essential vaccine and that's where vaccination starts. And then from there, you, you branch out to what's an at-risk disease in your, in your area. So with the core vaccines, there's five of them. The first one's tetanus, which everybody knows that one. And then are sleeping sicknesses. And depending on which side of the Mississippi River you're on, we have eastern equine encephalomyelitis here in the eastern part of the United States. And Western equine encephalomyelitis on the Western states, west of the Mississippi River, which is a mosquito-borne vaccine. And then with West Nile being now pretty much in every state in the continental United States, West Nile, another mosquito-borne vaccine uh, is in there. So that's that's our, our five, unless I forgot one, tetanus. EEE and WEE for those Western or Eastern equine cephalomyelitis, West Nile, and rabies. See, I never realized that the Eastern and Western had to do with the geography of the United States. I always thought it was a strain from some exotic country somewhere that got brought in accidentally 
15 generations ago, and I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, so California is kind of an exotic location to me, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it is. So, uh, and, and there are big differences in um, in the diseases themselves. EEE, the eastern, is almost uniformly fatal, and very few horses have survived, and, and the horses that have survived it tend to have uh, permanent neurologic issues where the Western form has a lower mortality rate, and so it tend, tends to be milder. So the both uh, in geography and uh, the clinical si- clinical signs are the same, but the survivability of the two diseases is is uh, significantly different. So when somebody says, "Okay," I, they call their vet up and they say, "I need to get core vaccines for my horse," or they go and purchase them to do the vaccines themselves. You frequently see Eastern and Ceph- Eastern and Western encephalomyelitis together in the same vaccine, and that and that's okay to do, even though you're in Mississippi and you're never going to leave Mississippi, or you're in New York State and you're never going to leave, leave New York State. It's just fine to have your horse vaccinated against both. Yes, yes, and it's recommended as part of the core because you know one thing that we we found in one of the. Um, other many benefits of global warming is mosquitoes go everywhere and carry things everywhere. You know, West Nile wasn't in this country until what the, the 1990s. And so because of the mosquitoes are, are found in more parts of the country than maybe where they weren't there before and they persist longer, you, you can't uh, be assured that you're not going to have Western crossover or Eastern crossover or, um, so when West Nile came, it's believed that mosquitoes on a ship from somewhere or what brought brought that into the country. Well, that's the, I guess that's the tricky part with uh, as much travel as there is, both human and um, products moving across the country, horses moving across the country, insects that can carry these diseases can get trapped literally anywhere. And before you know it, you've got a disease that has only occurred on one coast across the country on another. So that, that kind of makes sense. So that makes sense. So when you, when the AAEP created guidelines for core vaccines, did, what are some of the things they took into consideration? Is it whether or not a human can get it, whether or not it's fatal to the horse, whether or not it's got an effective vaccine available? How do they make those decisions? Well, the biggest one is what, what would hit, all horses in all situations. So, ah, universal um, universality. Okay. Yeah. So that's the. I think I tell people it's the building block. This is every vaccine program starts with these cores, core vac, the five core, and then you branch out from there to decide what other vaccines you may need to use, depending on what part of your country, what part of the country you're in, or. Um, you know, if it's a show horse, what the, the risks may be to because they're at increased exposure to other horses. So we're looking at at diseases that any horse under any living conditions could get anywhere in the country because rabies. Hello, you can get that anywhere. Tetanus, that's yeah. in the soil, can get that anywhere. West Nile virus, as you say, has more recently become a core vaccine compared to some of the others because we're seeing it across the country and any horse can get it because it's insects and they go everywhere, as is encephalitis. Very interesting. Now, once you get beyond those core vaccines, you usually have 
a discussion with your healthcare practitioner about what risk-based vaccines your horse should have. Explain what a risk-based vaccine means. What, what criterion are being used? So that would be pertaining to your situation of what part of the country you're in. If there's um, the best example would be botulism. We see botulism here in Kentucky and in Florida that can see it as well. So if you're in an area where botulism occurs, then adding botulism into your vaccine program would be a, an, an ad, added risk to the horses. And so it would be worthwhile to vaccinate for that because it's common enough. And when it does occur, it's it's expensive to treat. So if we can avoid the horse contracting botulism, it's sure one I would recommend. Um, other ones would be there's, there's a new leptospirosis vaccine, which is a uh, bacteria that can cause abortion and, and you know that's starting to be used in, here in Kentucky because we do see lepto abortions are one of the most common causes of abortion here or if you had um, a horse that say it went to a lot of horse shows and things like that and you're in a boarding barn and that's where you think about things like uh, adding in uh, vaccination for strangles and flu and things like that because uh, those be communicable diseases and horses that travel and horses that are under stress would be more likely to bring those back. So these are diseases that um, qual- your horse might qualify for one or the other depending upon uh, what type of living situation he's got, whether or not it's a barn where he's exposed to lots of horses coming in and out and lots of stress. Right, right. right. It really and- is how much... Um, that's something going to come in or they may spread. Or, and then how much traveling is doing where he's going to be the one traveling in and exposing others because we have to look at both sides. He he could bring something in as the one who has been exposed or be exposed to because I, lo- I think a lot of people look at it as, well, I'm I'm going to not vaccinate for X, Y, or Z communicable, and that's a disease a horse can transfer directly from horse to horse and doesn't need anybody in between because I'm very careful and my horse doesn't travel very much. He's not going to get anything and carry it to anyone. But I think the flip side of that that we often forget about is that um, your horse could pick something up and give it to someone and he could be exposed to something and bring it home. So it's it's both sides. You don't want your horse to get it from somebody else, but you also don't want your horse to un- unknowingly pick it up, yes, smaller chance, and give it to everybody else in the barn. So when you're looking at your vaccines, some, be, some um, boarding facilities require everyone to be on the same vaccination schedule. Others do your own thing. Does it Does it make more sense from the public health perspective to have a relatively closed population, say a boarding barn where the horses pretty much live there year round and go out to horse shows occasionally and on weekends and come right back. Would it make more sense for those animals all to be on the same schedule? It does for me, because as you say, it, it, it herd immunity is, is important. And, and the thought, the, the concept of herd immunity is basically all those animals in that, group have good immunity against we'll say flu and and so it's less likely that a flu gets in there that it's less likely that those horses will become sick 
And also the other thing you're hoping to be, if horses do get sick, that they're less likely to shed flu virus or they'll shed flu virus in in a lower amount because they've been previously vaccinated. So you're right, it, it both helps to prevent something getting in there and getting started. But if somebody does get sick, you're hoping that what they share with the others will be in lesser amounts. So there we go. And the final ta- the, the final question I have for our discussion on core vaccines, uh, Coggins test, what is it and why is it important? So a Coggins test, that's named after Dr. Leroy Coggins, who developed the test against equine infectious anemia, and that's a virus. And it's a in the same family as the AIDS virus. And what this virus does is it gets into the horse and when a horse is exposed, they'll usually run a fever, become anemic because the virus affects the red cells, also affects red cell production and can cause death. Um, And the platelet count will usually drop as well and their legs will swell. But what that virus does is it'll then, if the horse survives, which most of them do, it inserts itself into their DNA, which is how viruses replicate themselves, and it'll sit there. And it may sit there forever, but at some point, the horse will get stressed or the virus mutates. I think that virus does is it mutates, and when it pops back up and mutates, it's like the horse has never seen that virus before. And so that viral load will build up into the horse and that's where it can be spread to other horses. And it's spread by biting insects and it has to be large biting insects because they have to be able to physically carry enough blood to infect another horse. So the, the, the insects that do that are, are horse flies or um, deer flies, which are in the same family. Or I think everybody knows about if you use a needle from one horse to go to another horse, that blood transfer, things like you know, surgical instruments or teeth floats and things like that that aren't disinfected can also be potential carriers. So the, the bad thing about EIA virus is there's no cure for it, and infection is forever. So any horse that's infected is usually going to be an asymptomatic carrier. The horse shows no, no overt signs, but when that virus mutates or if you get stressed potentially, then that horse can begin to shed the virus and infect other horses. So that's why it's so important. We we don't have a cure for it. We don't have a vaccine for it. And most horses that have it, you can't tell they have it, but they're always a danger to infect other horses. And, you know, I, I've had that happen to me um, twice in my career where uh, EIA virus has popped up once in a horse showing clinical signs that were unusual horse came in for neurologic disease. But in another case, folks had bought this pony and were bringing it home, brought it by the clinic to get a Coggins test before they brought it home. And it was an asymptomatic carrier. Oh, wow. That must've been devastating. Oh, it is. Cause you have to go back. And once it happens, you have to go start going back where the horse came from and trace back to the herd. And then when the, and that's a state veterinarian thing. And when they did that, they found another asymptomatic carrier there at the farm. So, it, um, you know, it's it's going to be a quarantine situation. And those horses, you know, they can't be in the population anymore. So they, uh, they have to go to a research facility or they have to be put down. Wow. So 
EIA, which is what a Coggins test tests for. The Coggins test tests to see if your horse is carrying the virus. There is no such thing as a vaccine. So the only way to know if that stuff is around is to get the Coggins test. And you're doing it so that you can take asymptomatic horses out of the general population because they're the ones that are spreading it around. Right, right, because our only control that we have against that virus is to identify infected horses and take them out of the population. That's right. That's the only control we have. Well, there we go. So if you want to learn more about core vaccines, risk-based vaccines, and Coggins tests, you can find lots of really good information at the website of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. That's aaep.org. And they actually have a section just for lay people. So stuff is written in words that we understand, and I will put a link on today's show notes page, and uh, you can follow that and head on over there and learn more about it. And thank you very much, Dr. Brian Waldridge. Where can people follow you on Facebook? They can find me at Dr. B's Bluegrass on Facebook, and um, I always appreciate it when when, uh, you put me on the show and people, I get to see new folks or logging on and uh, starting to like my page, hopefully. So everything's on there. All right. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements made by guests on the Horse Tip Daily. Please use your own judgment when listening to the tips on this show.